Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. My guest is Nelson Kashawan. Nelson is a youth pastor and there's people. In this episode, we discuss the fake narratives we potentially tell, tell ourselves. Relate, we talk about relationships, and also we dive into how to make most of a bad situation, such as COVID-19. Thank you all for listening, and hope you all enjoy the show. off a new year than to go on a road trip and see people it would have been wonderful but oh well uh, it'll definitely be worth the wait definitely be worth the wait 100 percent. but how's how's the how's the new year been for yourself so far um pretty good so far pretty good so far um i don't know i'm just in really uh positive spirits these days uh covid or not it doesn't stop me from um reaching out to students such as zoom calls and uh and there's always that one, I, I try to limit my restaurant visits here in Saskatchewan. We're a little bit more, uh, uh, I guess we're lucky in, in that we have restricted hours on restaurants, but restaurants are still allowed to be open. I always go to the same one. I don't want to be going all over the place. I always go to the same one. And generally I sit by myself and me and a guest or whatever, we comply with all the COVID rules that we need to. But uh, but yeah, just uh, seeing, seeing more students here in Regina and... Uh, they've always they're always great conversations they're always great conversations just like yours and mine are so yeah uh, i gotta just jump off real quick here with a great story <laughs> hey come on wait uh, on me like absolutely everybody has their their movie or television fetish don't you uh whether it's netflix youtube uh prime or just maybe something on television that you watch every week not sure if I had the chance to share with you, but mine is uh, murder mysteries. Uh, not because I'm a fan of the murder, but I'm a fan of the of the uh, I don't know the documentary, uh, the whole process of investigation is just fascinating to me. And so I watched one. It's called uh, Web of Lies: Online Education. My goodness! And again. Just the way that the way that I am, the way that I'm wired, I'm always looking to learn principles. Okay, so what does what can this particular situation tell me about life? Uh, what can it teach me about life? Um, so often these web of lies, obviously, it just completely gives it away right away. The whole premise of the series is really about those you interact with online. And uh, meeting them in person sometimes is a different thing. And uh, this particular uh, gentleman, I'll try to keep it general so that um, I don't give away too much of the, the details. You can watch it later yourself. All right. So basically, this guy is a professor in Texas. Uh, he's uh, just a well-respected professor. And, uh, and though he could move up and teach 300-level classes, 400 graduate studies, he is just a celebrated professor, and uh, he decides not to. He really likes freshmen. He just likes investing in their lives and, and uh, taking all his expertise in teaching new students, which I kind of admired. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, he has a secret life, like so many uh, so many people do today. Um, 
yeah, he has a secret life and he's secretive anyway. He's very guarded. He's, he's, you know, he just doesn't allow anybody into his life, which is a hundred percent his right. And I think that's also respectable. He goes off on a secret rendezvous, uh, surprisingly so, uh, with a guy. He goes off to Austin, Texas, and then his wife later finds out and infidelity is infidelity, right? Whether it be with a guy or with a girl. And so, so he was, uh, she was just upset. However, a backstory was happening in that he was um, d- uh, working through the diagnosis of being um, possibly, possibly diagnosed with um, prostate cancer. And in this particular episode, they talked about prostate cancer and how, first of all, it exists mostly amongst men. And if it is removed, I didn't know things change sexually for you. I had no idea. And that's all I'll say. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, they just change. You're just not able to perform. Can I say it that way? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're not able to perform. I had no idea. I just had no idea. It's like, oh, uh, wow. So it really, and and anybody can respect this idea. It's like, so it really um, affects your sense of male identity. And so he was going through a crisis, quite a crisis, spending more time alone, being really withdrawn, which is completely understandable. And his wife, in light of the infidelity, said like, okay, well, it's hard to be mad at someone you love, number one. Uh, Number two, someone who's going through a prostate diagnosis and and taking this infidelity or whatever that was uh, and holding it in their face. So she decides to stand by him good on her, and stand by her husband, work through any uh, any issues as best they can. And uh, good news, I guess. Well, good news amongst bad news. He was diagnosed with prostate cancer, and fortunately, the cancer was completely contained in the prostate. didn't spread anywhere, which is just tremendous good news. And so he got a second, so he got a second lease on life. However, uh, his secret life began to um, really run away on him. And I think if anything, if any principle you and I could pull from this is we all have secret lives uh, to one degree or another. If possible, it would be nice to have the secret life uh, match the public life and that there's no skeletons in the closet, nothing to hide. Uh, That's a principle that's worth living by. I've got nothing to hide. I've got nothing to hide. So that's one thing that I learned from watching a murder documentary. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh and so uh so he begins to explore other avenues of uh let's say sexual fulfillment very very unfortunate road he decided to travel on in that he started uh getting in touch with underage girls very disturbing he started messaging a 12 year old girl he was very aware of her age Sometimes you're not aware of the age and you get catfished later. Yeah. <laughs> it can be a very unfortunate <laughs> circumstance. But this guy, completely aware that he was talking to in, in very inappropriate and illegal terms, mind you, and immoral terms, with a 12-year-old girl. He fully knew it. Well, guess who finds out? Not his wife this time. Her dad. Yeah, her dad finds out. Hi, this is so-and-so's dad. I understand you've been messaging my daughter. And I'm telling you, I am turning your name into the police. And now I've got your IP address. I've got your email address. I know who you are. 
and any father would defend their their own daughter. It's 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 yeah, it's awful. It is awful. And so this guy does everything he needs to to defend his daughter, and rightfully so. So uh, because he's secretive by nature and he has a secret life worth what he wants to hide, he bargains with them. I'll do anything, anything you want me, but please don't turn me into the police. Do not. He, he's got a tremendous reputation that he's doing his best to protect and not very well. He really gives a big bargaining card to the father. I'll do anything. Oh, boy. And so this guy uh, blackmails him. He's, and this professor starts sending him money regularly. He manages to end that online affair with the 12-year-old. And no, he gets right back into it. He returns back to that same 12-year-old girl. Dad catches him again. Blackmails him to, the, to such an effect such the effect such the extent that this guy ends up blowing all his savings giving his money away in order to uh not be exposed and to stay hidden uh it's very disturbing i understand uh this professor uh against um just fearing everything fearing the loss of his reputation uh, the ending of his career, um, the ending of his marriage, perhaps. He makes the fatal decision to take his life. Yeah. He kills himself, shoots himself in the head in the parking lot of the university that he taught at. Well, guess what? That 12-year-old girl never existed. Never existed. What? It was the dad that was pulling... And making up the profile all in order to blackmail and get some money from this guy. There was no 12-year-old daughter. It was a complete made-up scenario. And think of all the stress that this guy, the personal anguish that this professor went through, giving his time, his stress, his money, his mental, emotional energy, the destruction of a marriage. Now listen to this critical point to something that did not exist didn't exist now here's the point i want to make what is the made-up scenarios in our heads that don't exist the lies we tell ourselves um that we are pouring all our mental emotional energy into and even our money and it's just not true just not true. I asked, uh, I, I told a friend my personal story of uh, the first time I went to counseling. I'm a big fan of counseling. And uh, where I'd have a single wish, uh, a single endeavor, as I do mentoring with young men, is that they would be emotionally healthy, spiritual people. That they would be just grounded, love themselves, lead their families, and just be men of integrity. And part of that involves being emotionally healthy, being emotionally grounded. And so with that mind, then I say, hey, get well, take every opportunity to get well. And uh, and uh, it's so much worth the fight. It's so much worth the fight. So with that in mind, I told the story of when I was 28 years old, I that was the first time I went to see a counselor and I was terrified. 
long story short, after the first session, I just shared about the passing of my father, which wasn't too bad to share about the details of it. And uh, one of the things that she said was, and there's a lot of story I could tell in order to, you know, just fill out the story, make it more, more sense. But the point I'm trying to make is this, is that in that moment of emotional disruption in my life, I was looking for a self-diagnosis. I just wanted to make sense of my world that was crumbling around me. <laughs> and I called myself uh, codependent or, or this or that. I, I had all kinds of sticky notes on my soul, if you will, to try and make sense of my world. And she looked at me straight in the eye and she said, I don't think you're codependent. What? That was my, that was my safety harbor. You know, that was the diagnosis that made sense of my broken world. No, no, I don't think you're codependent at all. You might have codependent uh, behaviors, but I don't think that's your, your issue. I hear you saying that you're abandoned. Oh my goodness, Peter. Did I ever lose it completely? Not with anger, but with sorrow and pain. I cried and I cried, looking back, I cried really loud <laughs> in, that, in that counselor's office. I mean, I just let it roar. It, it was like the cork in, in my heart popped up. And all of a sudden, all these emotions that I've been trying to carefully contain and keep buried in my heart came bursting forth. And I just had no control over it. And the counselor just sat there and just let me cry. And actually, I got after I had got myself together again, we continued to talk. And she said, one of the, th uh, she said, are you a writer or a journaler? Do you paint? Do you write music? Are you a singer? In other words, how do you express your emotions? And uh, a little sip here, sorry. And I said, um, probably through journaling. I think I journal pretty consistently and there's great value in journaling. It helps sort of untangle your, your thoughts and emotions. So it's really, really good. And she said, well, do some journaling. Don't journal necessarily at any particular time, just whether you're high or whether you're low or whether you're in the middle somewhere, just, just write about it. However you want to write about it, then come in and read it and we'll work through that. Okay. So I did long story short. As I started journaling and I just, I can't even tell you how horrible I felt in those days to come, just broken, hurting. It's just like, I couldn't stop the hurt and it was hurting because I couldn't stop the hurt. And I, re I recalled a memory, a memory that would bring great healing. A few months before dad died, before he passed away, he sat down with his, us, his kids, which was looking back, very, very brave and very courageous. And he just leveled with us. He said, um, if anything happens to me, and I lost it. I was such a sensitive kid. I'm a sensitive guy now. Yeah. But I, I was a really big suck when I was a kid. And I lost it. I was crying so hard, Peter, as an 11-year-old boy. And I was the only one just, just crying. I'm just losing it. And he gave us some advice some really cherished advice, like, I want you to finish school. 
Uh, me and your mom, we never finished school. We were residential school survivors. My mom was. And dad only had a grade six. Now, keep in mind, he was born in the 30s and mom in the 40s. So, you know, education back then wasn't as valued as it is today. Number one. Number two, I want you to uh, honor your mom. Love her as best you can. Uh, three, find a career that's meaningful for you. And by the grace of God, I've done all three. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And, uh, and, and what that memory did for me, Peter, is it helped me to see that I actually wasn't abandoned. If dad had his way, he would have stayed. He would have been the dad, um, the great dad that I knew he was, he was capable of being. But the message in my head then was something that didn't exist, you see. Just like that professor who had a scenario in his head that did not exist, I did too. I said to myself, dad left me. He didn't leave me, Peter. He died. And last time I checked, the death rate's 100%. Nobody's getting out of here alive, Peter. (laughs) (laughs) Me, you, your parents, everybody. The death rate's 100%. The death rate's 100%. So um, it's such a shame, Peter, how uh, I never thought to check my own presumptions about life. I never tested them. I just had these stories in my head and believed them. It's very sad how many scenarios that young men like you, like me, uh, have stories in their head completely untested, terribly untrue, and they continue to serve those scenarios, those narratives in their head, spilling, pouring away all their talent, their time, their emotional energy, their money. They burn up relationships, and it's just not true. It's not true about them. It's not true about the situation. And it's a very, very sad thing. Uh, I think of, as well, a favorite professor of mine. Should I mention her name? Why not? Dr. Margie Hollingson. She was a sociology professor, and she was really good. And she stuck with first-year sociology as well. She did such a fabulous job looking back at her techniques, her projects, Uh, the way she marked her papers, the way she interacted with her class. She was just a a lovely, lovely lady. And I'm just so thankful for her influence in my life. Um, She also took on, because of her experience, she was also a social worker in the U.S., in the state of Wisconsin, if I remember correctly. And since she had a lot of uh, social work experience and counseling experience on the side, uh, she had taken on the first year pastoral counseling class, introducing introduction to counseling and helping skills. Man, what a good course. Oh, what a good course. Yeah. It taught me things that I still practice these 20 some odd years later. And I'm just so thankful. Just a simple course like that just was changed my life. So I'm so thankful for that. Um, part of her approach was to share part of her own story as well. Uh, which I thought was very brave of a professor. You often don't get that personable side to uh, professors, and that's certainly fine. 
but uh, she shared a story of the messages we get, okay, which is similar to what I'm sharing now. The scenarios are narratives in our head that we tell ourselves. She said, when I was growing up, she said, I had a very favorite doll. She said, it's a four-year-old and a five-year-old girl. I think it was Raggedy Ann and Andy or something like that. Just this old, high-selling doll. And she carried that doll everywhere. In the car, to school, to bed, in the bathtub. And if ever it went missing, she would be upset. She'd be crying. And one day, her mom, who she described as a very abusive woman, not me, but her, she described her mom as a very abusive woman. And she said, Margie? I am so sick and tired of you hearing about that, of me hearing about this stupid doll. I want you to go inside that bathroom and I'm going to give you a pair of scissors and I want you to cut that doll up, which is really traumatic. It's horrible, but who knows, maybe back in the 40s, that's what she did. She went and she cried and she tore the eyes off and threw it in the garbage, cut the hair off at the clothes off of this favorite, beautiful, darling doll that she loves so much. Here's the point of the story. The message I got, there it is again. The message I got was my love is toxic. And so I better not love anybody because in loving them, I'm going to destroy them. Isn't that interesting? And that's a message, a narrative that lived in her head all the way until she was in her mid-50s. She's afraid of relationships. She was guarded. She kept people at a distance. And she just did not want to engage in very deep levels of relationship because her love is toxic. Is her love toxic? No. 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 But that was the story she told herself. And that's something that she lived according to for a great deal of her life. Same with me. Did my dad abandon me? No. But that's a story I told myself, a narrative in my head that I continued to serve for a great deal of my life. And it just wasn't true. It wasn't true. And um, same with the professor. That 12-year-old girl didn't exist, but he continued to serve that imaginary scenario. And uh, there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from that. What do you think? Well, 100%. I think um, the stories you just told are very relevant to, I think, right now during um, during this, uh, the current state of the world where we're all locked in our homes. And, you know, I'm not saying the COVID is serious or not serious because also people have passed away due to um, COVID-19. And But I think people can choose to yeah. focus on the news, focus on the death tolls and and again, be fearful, maybe have this false narrative that's too dangerous to do to go out, too dangerous to live your life, too dangerous to, to do whatever. And I think, you know, if you are safe, um, you can still make changes in your life, have uh, make impacts and not be held back. But I think it's the narrative that you fill your head with. And also, I think the, the people you surround yourself with, and I think also reminds me of the basically what happened just recently in the States, the, the Capitol Hill um, riot, where you know, obviously, um, obviously, uh, President Trump, uh, current President Trump, um, you know, basically filled a false narrative in his followers' heads that hey, there that the whole election has been is is like uh, been rigged, a whole bunch of fake votes. You know, make sure you hold on to your rights. Go to the Capitol Hill, 
And because people, again, in a maybe vulnerable place, they want someone to believe in certain, again, maybe bad experiences in their life. They want to blame it on someone. So, you know, they, they're going to fill their head with that false narrative, which isn't even true. And that's right. That's right. And I think, so let me ask you, I'll ask you this then, uh, in your circle, how old are you? I keep, I ask you this every day. I'm talking about 26, maybe 26. Yes. Yes. I got it right. Thank you, Jesus. Um, were you to just examine, just look around, make some observations with the friends, the circles you move in, uh, the young men that you are aware of? What do you think in general, very general terms, it doesn't, what do you think are the narratives that people live with these days that aren't true? People it's your age. People my age, let's say. Um, Could be anything. I think one is um, because I'm young, they won't take me seriously. That's uh, sometimes that could be a big one because even 26 years old, some people, depending in what industry and what obviously company and vocation you choose, senior members of the whatever company, maybe who are 60 years old, 50 years old, just think sometimes I think, and not everyone, but they can think that because you're at a certain age, you don't know anything or, or at least as a young person, you might have that perception and could maybe sometimes hold you back if you want to apply for a position or taking a, a chance in life. Yeah. And then what what else as a young guy? Huh. I think that's I guess for me that's I guess the main one of the main things I can think of other than that. What about um what what's the narrative that guys tell themselves about girls or whoever they're attracted to? Well, I guess I can only really speak for myself on in this particular case obviously, but I think um um I guess one is um, nice guys finish last. That's a definitely, uh, it's a cliche, but it's definitely a narrative that if you are, say, a nice person like myself, you can obviously get that in your head. Well, I'm just a nice guy. She won't like me. Um, really? I think, wow. I think, I think sometimes, I guess it depends on your past experiences, but I think sometimes based on my past experience, because um, I think sometimes, sway, like you mentioned, your professor, you know, if she if this she, if she de- she indeed met a nice gentleman who treated her right, maybe opened the door for her, and yeah. didn't really um, say let's say flinch or get agitated by any of her past experiences or mistakes she's made. I think yeah. depending on people's experience, no one sometimes people don't get treated that nicely. So I think in sometimes they believe they don't de- like a teacher mentioned her love's toxic. So maybe some people just des- think they des- don't deserve that type of feeling or relationship with someone and in a sense can be turned off. So I think, yeah. So I think as a nice person, you can have that narrative. Well, like, you know, every time nice to someone, they could, they're going to break up with me. Right. So I think, so I think it's it's a lot, it's a lot to unravel, but I think, yeah, I think as a young guy in regards to relationships, you know, I, um, yeah, nice guys finish last or, and this could be a societal thing or it's personal, but I think he, like I need to have a certain amount of ducks in a row, so to speak. That's that, that particular is very, very true with young young men these days. They just have to have all their ducks in a row before moving on with a serious relationship, whatever. But carry on. Yeah, I th- yeah, I think yeah. Part of that is like you know, like you want you want to have a nice career, or at least you think you need to have like maybe a six figure position with a house and a nice vehicle before. I guess the lady will take you seriously or before you meet the one. And I guess it all depends on 
how your life lines up in a sense because you can meet the one and as you see like i guess for example conor mcgregor he was a before he was famous and made millions he was pretty broke in ireland training for fights and his wife stood by him through thick and thin and so that kind of goes to show you that you don't need all your ducks in a row before you meet the one but i think that's like a narrative that people could play into their head and could prevent you from getting to know people do you think that sometimes dating um dating is almost like applying for a job you've got to show you gotta have a resume here i mean what do you bring <laughs> to the table you better have at least an undergrad a six-figure income like you're saying um and 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 i don't know, be six foot two with a i don't know on and on I think it can be. I think it all depends, but yeah, for sure it can be. I think that's why for me personally, um, I've I've decided I'm, I'm not going to even do online dating just for the simple fact is basically it is almost like a resume. That's what you look at. You have a your best photos online. Like you're not going to put any terrible pictures of yourself on an online dating website. You put your height, you put your weight, um, you can put, you basically can put your level of education, your ethnicity, ethnicity your um spirit your religious beliefs description about yourself and then basically especially with uh tinder and bumble um mm-hmm. um i obviously tried them but it's basically like you're swiping you're swiping left or right based on if you like the initial reaction or read of the person or not and then the reason why I ch- i'm not I'm, uh, I'm choosing not to pursue those avenues and again I've known people who met their 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 basically their 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 lifelong partners on these dating apps. Great for them, yeah. but I think for me, you almost can create a, again as we just spoke as we were just talking about through your stories. You can create a false narrative about a person before you meet them. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm a person where I'm like I'd rather have like an hour coffee with you versus texting yeah. for three weeks before I decide. Right? Because I think you can learn more about a person just by having a regular conversation that like you and I are having. Then texting right. back and forth. And so I think, yeah, it is kind of like almost like a resume where you're looking for. And, but to that point, I think we're all, I think there's nothing wrong with having almost like a resume or a checklist because I think at the end of the day, we want someone that kind of can fit into our life. And yes, I think when you meet someone who you're in a long term relationship with, you, your life will change and you will change as a person. But I think for the most part, most people don't want to, you don't want to lose your core values of who you are as a, you know, as a person. So I think it is, in a sense, it is important to have like a certain checklist, but I think you have uh, perspectives on, you know, what is important to you and what is important to you. Because yeah, you could have someone who is making six figures, but then maybe they're not, they're not, they're working all the time and they're not at home and you don't have certain relationship needs met. So I think it's a, uh, so I think it is imperative to try dating, but then I don't know. I think it's also important to relax, not take yourself so seriously all the time, and then and again, this uh, just uh, be open to people because I think sometimes the the per- the one quote unquote the one you meet can be someone you totally never expected to be the one. Very well. Yeah. So very very good. So here's a question for you. Like here, you're supposed to be interviewing me, but I'm interviewing you. Hey, uh-huh. all good. So what would you say that you learned from your parents' relationship? They've been together how long? They've been together, I'm 26. So I think they've been together about, I think oh, 
I want to say maybe 30 years. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure, but probably around my age, really, probably 26, 30 years. I know they've been married about 26 years, but. Wow. Well, praise God. So, so what have you learned from them? Learned from them. Hmm. <laughs> Thanks. My parents, um, like kind of like your parents, they're a bit more old school. So my parents, um, they're nearly 70. So, uh, um, so the, I guess the bit more old school. So I guess for them, they don't show like much, I guess, public display of affection. Like, yeah. uh, um, but one thing I think, um, communication is key. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. And then also, um, I think every relationship looks differently in regards to how people communicate. Yeah. Very good. Um, because you could have people who like, like, um, couples or partners who, Maybe once a week, once a day, have five, ten minutes. They sit down with each other and they share their feelings. That's good. But other couples don't do that. Other couples, you know, my parents are kind of like the stereotypical old couple. My dad's kind of deaf. So my mom, my mom yells at my dad a lot because he can't hear. He says what a lot, right? So, <laughs> but you know, they've been, they're still together. They I imagine they still love each other. They are now they're going on, a, they're going to BC for a little uh, road trip, vaca- I guess, vacation. For about two months, so um, and I think that's uh, another thing I took away is, um, you know, sometimes I think we try to change either our current relationships or maybe change relationships that I guess may not change. Like I think sometimes with our parents, we look at other relationships. Like I think this, the uh, quote is or the cliche is the grass is always greener. Yeah, but the yeah. grass is only greener where you water it. So I think sometimes you know right. we look at that's our. Right parents relationships and sometimes we try to change either their relationship because we see other couples doing certain other things or communicating different ways but i think we can take maybe certain things we don't like from other relationships that maybe we currently have or see and maybe apply to our own life instead of try and change others yeah it's pretty dangerous it's a pretty slippery slope to try and change your loved one uh your significant other Mm-hmm. Uh, because here's why, here's why, uh, because then they become a project, <laughs> right? Yeah. That other person becomes a project and it's like, okay, now I'm going to try and change this relation, uh, this behavior. And there's nothing wrong with addressing issues and bringing up behaviors that are unhealthy. Uh, that's okay. However, uh, people are certainly more than projects. They, they, they certainly more than projects. You can't, I think it's really unhealthy sort of to create sort of, uh, you know, a little list of, okay, let me change this person. Uh, let me change that person. Let me, you know, uh, it just becomes task oriented. I think, I just don't think it's very healthy. I don't know if I know what I'm talking about, but I just, I just think P I think your relationship deserves more than a checklist of changes that other person needs to make. I think it's just, I, I don't think it's healthy. A hundred percent. I think to your point as well, I think sometimes um, now that I'm thinking about it, and at least from my current, my experience, I think um, just to add, this is kind of a point. I think, and this thing goes to sometimes, you know, certain, um, I think, for example, with the Black Lives Matter movement this past year, and that's ongoing. I think there's sometimes too often that people, we all often only speak from our own experiences. And... And don't um, sometimes don't consider other people's experiences. And then it goes both ways. You know, for example, uh, yeah, like um, saying like all cops are bad. Well, that's maybe sometimes only one person's experience and the experience you've gone through, but other people may have different experiences. So I think um, it's important to recognize that, that um, 
that we can only speak from our own experiences and we can't disacknowledge. Yeah, disacknowledge. I think that's a word. If it's not, I'm making it up right now. <laughs> um, we should we shouldn't disacknowledge other people's experiences because um, we can only speak from basically our own lives and. Um, I get, and I guess the reason why I brought that up is like sometimes I think when we're dating other people, I think depending on maybe our friend group, maybe, uh, maybe Instagram, sometimes we may be into, um, may like someone, we might start liking someone, but maybe because maybe their physical appearance or sometimes maybe some of their personality traits may not, your friends may may not like it so to speak or maybe society won't like it and that can sometimes give someone gets cold feet so to speak where it's like they're gonna kind of hold back because maybe other people won't approve so other people won't approve so i think that could also hold someone back in regards to knowing someone very very good very very good uh i have uh i don't know if they're like radio uh radio programming so much these days is turning into a bit of a talk show feel which I kind of like, especially if you're, especially if you got really good radio hosts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't know if this is just in Regina, but but it, it sounds like there are a couple Crash and Mars. That's what they're called. So I don't know. You know, there's some radio stations that have like that. They'll they'll tap into a show uh, that's all across the country. You know, like Ryan Seacrest, kind of the countdown. So I'm not sure if it's just here in Regina, but they they put out some really clever questions, <laughs> really clever questions to their audience, and they get text back between the music. I mean, they're playing music, yeah. but but it could be a really funny conversation. And one of them was um, funny first dates. <laughs> oh my goodness, <laughs> was it? Some of the answers were just too funny. I can't remember uh, them on the radio, but I do remember a friend here uh, at my work in Regina. She told about her first date with her now longtime boyfriend. Just hilarious. So she's that she's a talker, you know, like women generally, they talk more than men just generally. But she self-admittedly says, like, I am a really big talker. And sometimes I got verbal diarrhea and I just cannot shut up. And so as our first date, we're, we're just hanging out in the afternoon. And I was a retail manager at the time. I was working in Cornwall Center, downtown Regina. And uh, so we decided to go hang out before work. And so the arrangement was he'd pick me up. We'd go on our date, our first date, and then he'd drop me off at work. And uh, I would be closing the store. So I would imagine it's a bit of a swing shift, maybe 1 to 10 p.m. or 3 to 9 or something like that as the manager. I said, okay, so how did it go? She said, like I said, she said I had verbal diarrhea. I just couldn't stop talking. And I was getting a little self-conscious. Now, what was normally happening is back then, my mom would always drop me off from work. And so, you know, I would, you know, thanks, mom, for the ride. Love you. See you later. Yeah text on your break or whatever. I hope you have a good night. You know, very momish kind of conversation. Now, here's what's hilarious. After their first date, he drops her off and she has that same familiar conversation with him. She says, okay, thank you, honey. It's like, I love you. She gets out of the car. It's like, you said you love him <laughs> after the first date? <laughs> He's a thousand I was so embarrassed. I can't even tell you enough. Who the hell says that? I love you. It's like, 
God, you just met him just a few hours ago. You think you're rushing things along? I was like, yeah, I was so embarrassed. And uh, yeah, we, we kind of ironed that out. How about you? Any awkward first dates? Oh, I have a lot of, I guess, a lot of stories. Because again, I'm uh, I'm head in the clouds romantic. You know, I love uh, like the romance movies. Love the idea of just doing this big romantic gestures. Yeah, uh, I think again sometimes I, I think a lot of time in past relationships have been definitely premature in regards to these big romantic gestures, like writing poems like a month in, and okay, um, uh, uh, I think. That ever went good or? Um. Well, I guess I'm currently single, so I guess not. <laughs> um. Um. Not, not saying that those are bad things, but I guess it's like no, it's just a learning learning experience, right? So not that those gestures are bad, but maybe they should be more spread out, and maybe they should be reserved for someone who maybe I'm in a relationship more than a month in with. So maybe like three yeah. or four months in. But I know um, I like this girl in junior high, and I'm not sure if you ever did this in school, but yeah, like those. Um, I know Christmas time you get the candy grams and uh, Valentine's Day you got like the the rose grams where you can send a rose to whoever in the school. And I remember, I think I bought this girl like 20 roses. So then everyone's getting like the one rose and all of a sudden on her desk, she has like a pile of roses from me. So <laughs> um, funny date stories. I got a few for sure. Um, one is um, going go on a subway before the movie. And then I decided to get um, a meatball marinara sub, but on a flatbread. And then I took one bite and all the meatballs just fell out onto my, my plate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I guess the funniest, one of the funniest, it wasn't a first date, but I was actually probably a few months into a relationship. It was my first serious girlfriend in um, high, um, high school. I'm a high school sweetheart, and I'm a, I'm a very literal person. And I'm, I try to make this point um, very uh, soon when dating someone, because if you tell me something, I take it very literally. Right? So if you're saying you pick me up at 9 p.m., I expect you to be at 9 p.m. That's kind of... Um, so... Um, me, me and my then girlfriend were at the movie theater and I asked, hey, would you like anything to eat or drink? And she said no. And I took that as a, as a no, right? And I, I never knew that females would say no, but they're going to take your food anyway later on, right? That's how it is. I know, and I know some yeah. restaurants actually have, um, uh, you can, I know some restaurants you can get your meal girlfriend, I think it's girlfriend sized would be, they'll actually add on a half order to your meal. So then your girlfriend <laughs> eat off. Right. So, um, but so, so we go, I go to the counter, I kind of get one medium drink and a small popcorn. Cause I assume it's only going to be for me. So during the, during the movie, she goes to reach for some popcorn. And I kind of smack her hand and I'm saying, didn't want any. <laughs> Oh, so, <laughs> so I guess, uh, I guess that's probably one, uh, yeah, one of the funnier stories I can remember. Just like you told me, didn't want it, and then I guess another same girl, um, and my uh, my uh, one of my best friends at the time, we were kind of having a little spat, you know, fighting, and uh, I'm with my best friend because my kid can give me some advice. I need I need your help. And he's like, well. It's like one tip, call her by one of your like your cute nicknames. And he, and he meant like babe, sweetie, honey pie, something like that. And uh, what I decided to go with, um, and I don't I, it wasn't like a name I use often, but instead like I give her, I guess these one of the names like when you're in a I guess a funny mood, instead of saying babe or honey, I think I use the um, phrase sugar tits or whatever. Okay. And yeah, that didn't go over well either. Like that was a wrong 
That was the wrong nickname to give her at the time. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> so, so, um, so I definitely learned from those mistakes that, you know, if, even if your sweetheart isn't hungry, maybe order her something larger so that at the very least you can take it home later if she doesn't have any. So definitely some <laughs> relationship blunders there. <laughs> yeah. I remember a first date with a very pretty girl. Uh, it obviously didn't work out here. I'm in the same boat as you, um, single, uh, but she's, she, first of all, she's just so beautiful, right? She's just like, you know, you get kind of nervous around her kind of, <clears throat> kind of beautiful. And, uh, yeah, it, it wouldn't have worked out anyway because she's, I'm not really adventurous. I'm, I'm just boring, I guess. Uh, I'm not really but I could change. Like I'm willing to adapt for the right person. Cause I'm just, I love to go to restaurants and sit in pubs, uh, have a beer, have some good food and chat. That's about it. Uh, I'm not really into hiking. I'm not into, Hey, let's go for a bike ride. It's like, Oh God, you know, this doesn't even sound fun. Hey, do you want to go, um, <clears throat> downhill skiing? I'm just like, no, I don't want to, you know, but I guess I, maybe I should, but anyway, so this one girl really, really likes the outdoors. And so I'll never get there in Edmonton. We went on this date, our first date, and it was an atrociously hot day. Sometimes Edmonton can get so hot and dry because it's a, that prairie feel. Uh, it's uncomfortable. And honestly, I just wanted to get inside this restaurant and just cool off. And she said, why don't we sit outdoors? <laughs> She's like, damn it. It's like... Oh, I didn't want to sit outdoors at all. I wanted to get inside the air conditioning and just be relaxed and sit at the bar. Come on, let, let's sit on the patio. So I just wanted to be a gentleman and, and give her preference and, you know, all that. I was dying. I was just like, how is this even awesome? Like, this is just, I was sweating like crazy. I was so uncomfortable. And it's like, but anyway, yeah. After a while, I turned into a bit of a whiner and we, we just moved on, but it's like, I don't know. So that was a bit of an awkward first date where I'm just like, I couldn't even concentrate on the conversation, which is pretty important in a, in a first date, wouldn't you say? Uh, I couldn't even concentrate because it was so damn hot. I was sweating. I was uncomfortable. I was, anyway, so in other words, I probably came across as a little bit withdrawn, uh, boring in conversation because I'm over here dying. Anyway, so that so that was a funny first date, but, uh, but there you go. Yeah, I went on uh, I went on off the a uh, couple Tinder dates, a couple Bumble dates when I used the app. I remember I went went on a date with a girl. Um, I think we decided to go meet at the rec room at Edmonton here, and then yeah. maybe go see a movie. So that was the plan. And then so we go to the rec room, play games, and throughout the whole time, I'm like asking her a few questions, and then she's replying, but she's like kind of. Oh, how would I phrase this? She wouldn't answer question, ask the question back or ask anything back. So she kind of so almost like, yeah, she's not engaging. She just, yeah. Questions like she's in the interview or something. Yes. And then and it was an okay date. Um, but then afterwards she kind of texted me. She's like, you didn't really talk much. I'm like, what? <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that was, that was pretty interesting, but yeah, it's, but I think that's all part of dating. You make mistakes and then you meet the person that regardless of what mistake you make, they still they stick around and you wonder why. And then 
that is interesting. I eh? hear here you're thinking you're hosting the conversation, asking all the questions, and then wow, perception, right? Perception. Yeah. It's amazing that we, yeah, it's amazing that we think we're doing such a good job, but after all, <laughs> we're not. Yeah, I guess I guess maybe you can answer this question for me because uh, I guess my closest friends that I yeah. surround myself with, they're all basically in long-term relationships, you know. So I guess the four main friends with their, their couples. So one, my former roommates whom I lived with previously, and then my friends um, who I see from time to time, um, they're they're together. Um, so I guess why do you think I would uh, like? Uh, I guess I'd, why do you think I'd I'd, I'd do that either intentionally or intentionally? Why do you think you would do what? Would surround myself with couples. So like, I because I don't have I guess. Oh, you're probably good friends with both. I am. And that's really what it comes down to. Your friends, I bet you if even they broke up, you'd probably still be friends with the, with the guy and the girl. Yeah. So I, I, I've, I've been third wheeling all my life, you know. And for me personally, it could change. I don't know. I don't know the future. But I really feel called to be single. I feel to be, I'm completely happy. I'm, I am so content. I'm living my mission and my purpose to, to mentor, uh, mentor students in particular, uh, young men. And and like I said, um, encourage them to be emotionally healthy and spiritually grounded and all those good things. Uh, I could be happy for the rest of my life being single. However, (laughs) however, if, if a girl comes along and steals my heart and, and, uh, next tomorrow, I'll be I'll be welcoming her down the aisle. I'll invite you, Peter. First of all, perfect. And uh, I'm I'm down. I'm down for it. Absolutely. However, as far as I could see, I'm a single person, and so all that to say is that I've been third wheeling it all my life, and I just don't feel awkward about it at all. I'm just friends with both. I'm just friends with the girl, friends with the guy, and and that's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, I'm completely secure in my identity. And I'm, yeah, that's it. Now, when it comes to if they break up, where does my loyalties lie? <laughs> are you are you the are you the the bros before hoes or guy or? Well, well, by nature, by calling, I've already mentioned the fact that that I want to invest in young men, helping them become amazing men. So I would probably go with the guy. However, um. The way it seems to have went, I think of one significant uh, couple that ended up getting divorced. And it's fine what she wanted to do. She, her and I were such good friends. And I just enjoyed her company. As a matter of fact, they lived there in St. Albert. They lived there in St. Albert. And they moved back to Ontario. And they would end up getting divorced and, and remarried. And that's fine. That's good. But I would have loved to have stayed in touch with her. I just was just a big fan. She's such a lovely person. But she changed. She she intentionally cut off every everything associated with her her former husband now, and that's fine. But but I just like to kind of leave it up to them. Leave it up to them. Like if you want to stay in touch, I'm here. But if you don't, uh, that, that's fine too. That's fine too. It's it's really amazing how things change over the over the years. And one bit of advice I would I would often like to share with couples who have been together for a long time is uh, uh, people evolve and your relationship needs to evolve and you need to allow change to happen and not 
just put it on cruise control. That's a big mistake men make all the time. Mm-hmm. They just, okay, so I, I flex my muscle, flash my fancy car, my car keys. Uh, I put up my resume and she fell for it. And, and, and now I've got her and now I can be on cruise control. Huge mistake. Huge. People are evolving. People are changing. And so you need to evolve, change, and develop and grow with your partner. Grow with your partner. And what that means is I would say is learn, just study your partner. What are their new needs today? How are they changing? And serve and love those needs, you know? And I just can't even, I say it with great passion. Guys, please uh, throw away the cruise control. Throw it away and, and learn to continually serve and love your significant other and, and just take charge in that. Take charge. Assume the health and welfare of that relationship. Yeah, 100%. I think the one, I guess, book that reminds me of it, have you heard of the five love languages? I have. Yeah, so <laughs> the first thing I thought when you mentioned that is we uh, think we enjoy we also I think we to some extent um, being we be in love in a variety of ways, but it's like it's physical touch, words of affirmation, acts of acts of service. Oh, that's three. What are the other two? Acts of service. Uh, um, get acts of service. Get gifts. Uh, gifts. Gifts, and there's one more. But so I think it's important to find out how you enjoyed being. Um, how you enjoyed being loved because I'm a very oh and uh, I think it's um, time quality time there you go that's five um, so um, for me personally I, I'm a very quality time physical touch type of person so I, I'd rather spend a whole bunch of time with my significant other than being gift, being given a gift whereas some people but then uh, for me personally if I'm in a relationship with someone I cannot assume that that the, my partner loves enjoys being loved or being appreciated or showing affection through the same same means where other people would maybe words of affirmation so they love being told how great they are how good they're doing how much they're loved yeah. so i think um that's important and i think um not that i can speak to this because i'm not married but um i think there it's often it's, i think it's happens too often where as soon as you put the ring on the finger um I'd say mostly, mostly men, but I think can, can be um, both people in a relationship. But I think as soon as people are married, they, it's kind of on cruise control. They think everything's good. But again, um, when people get married, you know, through your 40s, 50s, 60s, people change different experiences. And I think, um, I don't know if I heard this or maybe I made it up. I think it's when you're married, that's when I think that's when your relationship does begin. I agree. Because yeah. you're, when, you're, when you meet someone, you're dating them. Then you're in your relationship. And then once you get married, that's when you make the actual commitment for life. And, but that's, that's when people think they're done, but that's actually when you begin. And then that's brilliant wisdom. It really is. So I just have to remember that. I just have to remember that when I get married. (laughs) For sure. For sure. Yeah. Allow that relationship to develop. Uh, allow that person to grow into the best version of themselves. And uh, I would say just be a servant to, to the guys. Yeah, be a servant and, and help them become the best person that they could possibly be. Uh, don't be, I would say to guys again, uh, don't be a source of their insecurity, please. Uh, don't be texting girls or, or whatever makes them feel insecure. Don't be, yeah, just 
be present, be all there. What would you say though, going back to the love languages? I love, I love that you brought it up. What, what is yours? You said quality time, I think. Quality time, I think, would be number one. I just enjoy. enjoy. So you could just hang out and do nothing, and that would be the best time ever. Yeah, like I love play, it. playing crib with um, playing crib. No, maybe card games. Um, I have a game called, it's called Icebreaker. So there's like five or six different categories. I think you and I played it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, so uh, I enjoy using those means because then you get you to spend time with someone, you get to know them. Um, um, but yeah, I think, yeah, just quality time isn't very important to me because especially now where everything's so technological, technology driven. And even now where we're all FaceTiming and not really actually spending time with one another. Um, and I guess the reason why I think maybe gifts would be on the low, like the to- lowest on totem pole. I think um, just the way I grew up, I'm fortunate enough to have um, two loving parents who work extremely hard in their lives, who didn't want their kids to, um, I think, suffer or maybe go through life the way they, they did. And so very personally, like I, it's not saying that if someone gives me a gift, I'm not gonna reject it or dislike it, but you know, again, I'd rather spend time with you, or maybe you give me a gift where we're gonna go see a sporting game together, so something like that. So, but That's yeah, the gift of time, yeah, the gift of time, yeah. But uh, yeah, I should enjoy spending time with someone versus you know uh, the other means. Because again, you can tell me you love me, or we can just spend time together, and then I can kind of give the sense that you love me in the sense. So good for you, bravo, so, bravo. Love- um, yeah, that's true. Uh, that, that definitely falls in line with our discussion of, of sort of studying your spouse or studying your significant other, understanding their needs and intentionally take an action on it. And, uh, for mine, <laughs> mine is exact opposite of yours. Mine is receiving gifts. Now here's, here's what's important to understand. It, I'm not expecting you to buy me a cup. <laughs> Or anything like that. I, I swear to God, you could clip your toenails and put them in a card, and I'm just like, oh my god, that's so nice, you know. <laughs> I totally, uh, I totally become this big baby, and it just really touches my heart. As a matter of fact, to illustrate this point, um, I get it. This was probably a year and a half ago. I have a, a a very dear cousin, and she he married. That's what's so funny about it is me and my cousin have been tight all our lives. And me and this high school friend have been in and out of touch over the years, and their paths never crossed, ever crossed. And until maybe five years ago, they're just the best couple ever, and I just love their company. And I'm definitely their third wheel all the time. (laughs) Now, she texted me. uh, They throw the best Halloween parties. So this post-COVID, once COVID, let's hope the COVID sort of just dissipates and, and we can get back to normal, whatever normal would look like in the future. And they just have the best Halloween parties. Everybody, you have to come with a costume. You have to. And we play games. We, uh, she's, they're just expert hosts. And so with that in mind, then, she, she gives me a text one time. She says, are you at home? Uh, yeah, like, what's up? I'm going to drop by and give you something. <laughs> I was just like, what? I was just like, wow, this is amazing. You know, all it was was just a formal invitation, a card. Uh, inviting me to their party. And that caused me to be floating for days. I'm just like, this is so special. Wow, isn't this amazing that she drove by and made this card, this big invitation, and it really wasn't costly. But I think for me, the love language behind that is 
the fact that you were thinking of me, you could buy me a pair of shoes, uh, shoelaces, and I'd be just like, wow, thank you for thinking of me. I just, I am completely blown away. And it's something that kind of, it creates a memory in me, if you will. And I keep going back to that moment. I remember when, I remember when somebody did this for me or somebody did that for me. For example, uh, this phone right here, a student bought me it. I can't believe it. Blew me away. Just like, wow, that's crazy. Uh, because for whatever reason, my Google Pixel 4 uh, just stopped taking a charge. And my present company, I, I'm with Bell right now. Uh, they've been good all along. I'm super happy. I've been with them for 16 years or something like that. Never switched companies. But they just didn't have a really good deal, a really good offer for me. For the plan that I'm with, they don't fix phones. Can you believe that? Wow. They don't fix you. They don't fix your phone. They'll give you a new one. Sounds good, but you have to pay a deductible. I was like, $350? The phone is worth maybe $800. You're almost having me pay 50% just to get this new phone that is manufacturer's defect. I'm just like, this sucks. It sounds like a good deal, but it's not really a great deal from my perspective, in my opinion. Now, uh, a student hearing about this says, come see me on Thursday at work. All right, so like, yeah, what time are you off? I, I'm probably about 5, 5.30, so okay, cool. So we're sitting there having a having a, a drink and a good convo, as always. Um, <clears throat> as a matter of fact, you should interview him. Uh, his name is Spencer Brightman. I'll introduce you. All right. He's a great guy. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's a DJ. He's a producer and a bartender. He's a graduate of the University of Regina. You guys would get along great. So I love when great people meet great people, and I'm definitely going to send him your way. Um, just like Max and Torian and, and, uh, what's that other guy? Dean. Yeah. yeah oh, I love oh, Greg- oh, speaking of yeah. Torian, sorry, to cut you off there, but, uh, speaking of Torian, yeah. um, him, when him, when I had, um, when him and I, as I mentioned, I'm a kind of new Torian previously a little bit. Him and I both worked at Commonwealth Stadium and when him and I, um, I did, when I did our podcast, it was about uh, two and a half hours long, that one. So he's a great, great chemistry, great person, and he's a super intelligent person, very bright. I love it. Good for you you both. I just love that. That is such a huge value for me. When great people meet great people, I love it. And so, yeah, Spencer Brightman is this guy's name. At any rate, so he invites me down, and (laughs) here's what's so funny. So we're sitting there at the bar. He's off shift now, and the bartender is now serving us. He orders a drink. I order a drink, and uh, we get some some food going. And uh, and he says this phrase that I didn't pay too much attention in ordering his food, ordering his drinks. Uh, that I didn't pay too much attention that would make sense now. He says, "I'm going to have such and such a drink, and I'll have this kind of food." And I can't even remember what he was ordering. And then he said, "And that other thing." Okay, yeah, yeah, I'll get that going right away. So I didn't know what he meant. So that other thing was this massive, was my phone that was placed in this massive plastic glass along with some blue cotton candy like stacked up. So uh, whatever kind of server, they brought our drinks, they brought our food, and they put this big martini glass. I was like, what is this? I don't know. Go ahead and open it. Open what? Like I, I said... He says, just go ahead. And he starts filming me. I'm just like, oh, my God, this is so embarrassing. 
you know, I used to be a pastor and I haven't got a lot of experience in this. So I just bite it. <laughs> yes, just go ahead. So I just like tenderly and gingerly biting and pulling away at, at these pieces of cotton candy. And then I bite into a box, it, as funny as that sounds. And I says, what is it? Open it. And so I opened it and it was this phone. Wow. So I was just like, wow, guy. I was just like, oh my God, this is on the, like, and he said, turn it on. So, so we charge it, we turn it on. I switch SIM cards and uh, yeah, that, that's history. So amazing. Yeah. So that's my story of gifts. Yeah. So, so in a sense, you're saying okay. the reason why you um, enjoy receiving gifts is the, the memories they create and also the memories yeah. that you're able to reflect upon and certain that's periods. A, that's a yeah, that's exactly it. You got it hundred percent. Yeah. It creates that memory um, that I revisit. It's, it's like, it gives me that same sense of grace that it did the first time. As a matter of fact, maybe even more so than over the years, as I continue to visit those moments when people were generous to me, I experienced it on a bigger, better, brighter level than it was ever the first time. I think of, for example, my sister who uh, treated me, can I say it that way? Treated me. I wasn't bringing in the most income in 2011. I was just serving at a restaurant there in Edmonton. And too bad we didn't meet back then. Holy, we would have been like cool friends and everything. How old were you in 2011? 2011. You would have been like 17. 17. Yes, both 17. You would have been high schooling. Yeah, 100%. What high school was it? St. Joe's? Lazert. Emil Lazert. Gangsta, gangsta. Pretty much, <laughs> not really, but <laughs> it was for for I guess for the reputation it had. I I found it was a phenomenal school. I really enjoy. I enjoyed being among amongst different a variety of cultures. Like I basically I basically got to learn, um, I guess how to coexist with other other um other people. But uh, I guess on that note, the one thing I always mention is um, I'm a huge football fan. Um, yeah. And um, but I always tell people, and this is I guess my experience. But I think the re- I played hockey, I played soccer, I played um, slow pitch volleyball, all, all the sports. Right, and out of all those sports, even though hockey is Canada's national sport, um, I have to say that football is truly, I say, truly team sports. Um, I the, agree. The reason why never, um, yeah. you could have a Connor McDavid on your team. Said if said, said for like. For hockey, you could have a guy like, say, Wayne Gretzky or Conor McDavid where you just pass the puck to them. They can take it and score. Um, or you have your favorite couple of line mates you pass to to score goals. Um, soccer, you know, if you have a really strong striker like, say, um, Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo or a strong goalie, um, they can take the game over. But, like, football is one of those sports where all, all 11 guys or all 12 guys, if you're talking about CFL, have to work simultaneously together um to to win the game and and it's one of those sports where you know you truly get to know someone for who they are as a person um and yeah i got to build so many strong relationships through the sport because basically you are going almost like in battle every game so you build these strong relationships with someone and hold, hold each other accountable and i think it's almost a great representation of life where you have to be, regardless of what our position you're in, you have to be good in your single or individual um, either position, goals, 
to order up to attain the overall goal as a unit. So Good for you. I, I agree. I agree hundred percent. So yeah, high school, you were, that was 2011 and, and going back to the whole love language, giving up gifts uh, <laughs> in 2011, I, I had some, I probably had probably eight or $900 set aside for a trip to Hong Kong. And my sister basically paid for the hoteling and the flight. She's been working on saving it for a while. So thank you again, Sonia. But but every now and then I go back, I flip back through Facebook, I look at old photos, and I thank God again. I'm just like, that was an amazing trip. So it's a really cool feeling to not only experience it once, but experience it over and over and over again and, and still be just full of gratitude. And so, yeah, that was an amazing 10 days in uh, Hong Kong, let me tell you. I probably wouldn't go to Hong Kong these days, but... <laughs> But, uh, but in 2011, that was amazing. We went to all kinds of neat things. And uh, yeah, it was a beautiful time. So, And I think of several times over and over again when, when people have given into my life, invested in my life. So it's a privilege. It's an honor to be able to return the same whenever I can with students. Uh, yeah. And people often say, you know, out of concern, they, they say, man, aren't you... Aren't you concerned of them taking advantage of you? Well, I think when you're in a helping position, like being a mentor, uh, you give your advantage away. The whole nature of mentoring is is not trying to leverage your 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 whoever you are to get something from them. You're trying to give something to them. And so I'm not worried at all of anyone taking advantage of me. If I've got it, I'll give it. It's the end of the day. At the end of the day, that's it. That might be the dumbest thing that anybody has ever thought of. Eh, oh well, maybe I'm a uh, maybe I'm dumb for it, and that's fine too. So, so it's a it's a blessing to serve others and uh, and to be able to sort of extend that same grace to people. I can tell you a million and one stories. Not just my sister, not just my one student Spencer who got me this phone. I could go on and on for for longer than you and Torian went. <laughs> tell like how people have been so so good to me peter so good to me and god's been good to me and so i want to be the privilege of extending that to others is, is just the highest honors as a matter of fact one student i gave a bit of a, a a gift that's all i'll say uh to them uh and he really resisted i understand it's really weird receiving gifts of grace or our finances or anything i get it because uh, you don't want to come across needy, you don't want to come across as begging, and it, and it can really, yeah, test be a test of character. I understand. I'm not going to force this on you, but if you want, I could help you in such and such a way. This, and at first he resisted, but the second time I did it, he was able to actually just say yes and thank you. That to me was amazing. That's amazing growth for anyone just to be able to receive anything from another party uh, whether it be a significant other husband wife partner whatever to be able to just sort of just be vulnerable and say okay thank you thank you i humble myself i receive what you have to offer and it's it's yeah so good on him he was growing in that area i'm rambling but that's okay <laughs> oh it is okay we got, we got we got time we got time but so it's so it's a good thing. So what else you want to chat about? 
what else was there anything i guess one question oh you already touched on a little bit in regards to you know not letting either false narratives into our head or maybe negative narratives into our head but especially in time right now you know we're in the nether lockdown uh i guess no one really knows what the next restrictions or um which which restrictions are going to be lifted when they're going to be lifted they're going to be lifted and i think you can you probably noticed there's a, a growing i guess growing percentage i guess i can feel of distrust amongst um the citizens the people and with uh, elected officials in our country you know obviously due to you know again like the you know them either taking vacations um over um, and or having huge family gatherings during the holidays when they told us not to um yeah i guess what would be maybe advice for people maybe to that you can give to people right now or maybe they're feeling this distress among distress among maybe like the officials or maybe or maybe they're growing fearful of the current times because all they're seeing is the death toll rise what would be some i guess advice you can give people well, I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm a Christian. I used to be a pastor. I said, pray for your elected officials and take your election seriously. You know, uh, you can't really complain about the government if you didn't vote. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So you get what you vote for. And, if, and, and I think as citizens, we can't be passive anymore. The th- thing that I like about this upcoming generation is they're taking their their voting rights seriously. Uh, when I was growing up, we didn't care about voting rights. We didn't care about who was in office. And I know that's so silly. We we're just so passive. But I think, uh, yeah, uh, pray for those that are in power. Uh, wish them the best so that you could uh, live live a life of peace and prosperity and everything. Like, we still are a privileged country. I don't mm. care what. Sure, we're dealing with COVID. Sure, we're dealing with a lot of restrictions on our on our freedom. But you know what? We're still a lot. We're still ahead of a lot of countries in this world where they they don't have any freedoms that we do today. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm ready to cooperate with whatever kind of restriction for the greater good, for the greater good. Um, am I, you know, I don't know about these conspiracy theorists. I just like there's a lot of conspiracy theory out there and some of them are really outrageous, <laughs> really outrageous. And I don't know. It's it's fun to entertain those thoughts and read the stories. And it's like, oh my goodness, you know, uh, I don't know. I just like, I'm just going to just cooperate. I'm just more of an agreeable person by nature. I'm not one to stir up the nest or lead a charge or, or anything like that. Yeah. Secondly thing, uh, second thing I would say, in addition to uh, probably third thing, I said, pray for your leaders. Number one, wish them the best. Number two, uh, I would just say, uh, be it. Oh, number two was take your voting rights seriously. Number three, uh, be as intentional as you can, especially during these lockdowns. You know, to uh, do some soul care. I would say even take advantage of it. With the limited circles that we're allowed to move in nowadays, we have a lot of time to ourselves. Instead of bitching and complaining about the fact that oh, I can't go out and be with my friends, you know what? Be by yourself. Listen to your thoughts. Get well. Uh, and, and take advantage of those times when you have to be by yourself. And that can be very terrifying to a lot of people. It's like, wow, I've never had to be by myself, listen to my own thoughts. I'm used to sort of drowning them out or 
are numbing them. This could be a great opportunity for personal growth uh, when when things are shut down and all the crutches that we rely on from social connection, physical, um, uh, just being out in public and, and whatever things that, uh, that essentially are coping mechanisms for the things that set us back. Actually, as it turns out for me in 2020, I had an emotional crash back in July and part of it was the result of, it was triggered by two friends, sudden deaths. That's fine. Uh, but COVID restrictions, uh, allowed me to actually be a little bit more introspective than I ever have been before, take a serious good look in the mirror and and get well. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. You know what would be a cool podcast or a cool something is like, what is the good things that COVID brought about? You know, what's the good things it's brought about? It's got to be something out there that's good. Yeah. For me, it's given me the time to myself that I needed. And actually, as it turns out, Peter, uh, it's been my absolute 100% best year of personal growth ever. By far. That's awesome. 2020 has been incredible. And I'm so thankful to God for it. This time last year, I look at some of, uh, I do some reflection. I, 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 I look back. Holy smokes. I'm just light years ahead uh in this past year and so i just don't think we take we paint everything with the same brush that covid sucked 2020 was garbage and let's it's not true it's just not true there's lots of good things that happened in 2020 uh lots of turmoil but turmoil allows some unhealthy stuff to surface and then it allows us to deal with it so thank you jesus for 2020 it was a great year yeah exactly i think i like what you said about uh being introspective and reflecting upon yourself, your life. And that's something I've said before, is I hope people have took, taken the time um, to reflect upon their life and maybe their, their current, maybe work to, in which to work at the current occupation. And I think for so many people, or at least a decent amount of the population, they work jobs in which they're unhappy with because it pays well, good benefits, what have you. And I think there's a decent amount of people who, when they've had the stay-at-home work orders when you're working from home and they had more quality time with their family may hopefully people thought hey maybe i can do something else in my life which i can have more time with my family to have the same fulfillment or have more fulfillment and and i know i always always like to quote from jim carrey when he speaks about his father who is uh, i think he said his father was could have been a great comedian his father was very funny but his father instead um, took a very safe accounting position. And then he saw his father got let go from that very safe accounting position later on. And he basically said, one of the most important lessons my, my father taught me is, um, I think I'm probably going to butcher this, but it's like, if you, if you can fail or be let go from something you don't want, then you might as well go for what you do want. Amen. And, you know, for, for me personally, you know, like during this, uh, during, the, during the lockdowns, you know, I started a podcast. I've been taking courses, I completing courses to become a firefighter, you know, so because, you know, again, I took stock of my life, I realized, you know what, as you know, I was more into the financial industry wearing suits. And, you know, I understand money is 100% important, you know, regardless of your viewpoint on money, you know, I definitely still want to be wealthy and have uh, abundance of wealth um, in the bank yeah. account. But, you know, for me personally, you know, I didn't really feel my myself, you know, wearing these suits 
and sitting down with um, clients to go over, you know, either financial analysis or what have you. And, you know, and I, I put it on the shelf for now and maybe I'll return to it. Maybe I won't, but I don't I decide, you know what? I'm not currently happy in my current situation, so I might as well take a chance somewhere else and see it through and whatever happens, happens. And I can kind of go, um, I guess, I think, is it Taoism? Is um, I'm not sure if that's, but basically I'm trying to live life without resistance in, in a way. So still have my goals, still have my intentions, but kind of go with the flow, kind of let the river take me where it takes me, so to speak. Yeah. I like the idea of less force and more flow. Yeah. And I think just Steve... Let that divine, yeah, let that divine just flow through you, baby. Yeah, and I think too often, you know, I would do it quite a bit, is I think you mentioned it um, as well as... um. I think the reason why we can have these false narratives um, be fed to our, our minds is we sometimes try to connect all the dots moving forward. You know, it's like I've done before, you know, you know, I, I often, I think the reason why I've been stuck so many times and haven't taken too many chances is because, you know, I'll think of, you know, potentially joining the military, for example, but then I'll think five years ahead and where that'll take me and then not take that step, which I could learn so many valuable skills and lessons. Um but I think Steve Jobs said, you know, you can only connect the dots looking backwards. You can only connect the dots when you well look, look back in life. So I think that's also a thing is that sometimes we get too caught up in what could happen and try to connect all the dots moving forward and have all these plans. But I think sometimes you've got to kind of let go of that, let go of those fears or presumptions and just take a chance and see where it takes us. What would you say then? I like what you're saying there. What would you say would be... Uh, if not the biggest chance you've taken, because it's kind of hard to sort of quantify, you know, the biggest risk you've taken. Uh, what would you say a risk, just a risk that you've taken that's paid off well? A risk that I've taken that's paid off well. Hmm. You look back, it's taught you a lot and, you know, all that good stuff. I would say... Um... I would say one, the first one I'd say, um, the first chance I took that I can remember, I would say, mm-hmm. would be uh, when I, yeah, when I tried out for the junior football team for the Wildcats. Uh, so I guess backstory to that. Yeah. Yeah. So I played lineman in high school. So I was, uh, I guess, a big boy. Bigger, okay. you know, a little fat on me. Um, so I was a person blocking for the quarterback. So, of course, had to be a bit more, uh, I guess, yeah, a bit bigger. So, you can, so I had to block bigger guys. And then after three years, so then obviously went through a weight loss journey. Uh, and then, you know, I was, I think, 19, 20. And, you know, what, like, I, was, I said to myself, you know, I want to go play football again. I miss the sport. I enjoy playing. I enjoy the com- camaraderie you have with uh, your teammates. And met. I played in something called the AFL, which is the Alberta Football League. It's basically rec, full contact football. Uh, and I, I met someone who did play on the Cats there. Fortunately enough, um, he said, "Hey, you're you're decent. You know, give it a shot." And I had one year of eligibility left, so it was like a make or break type of thing. Uh, and and I guess fortunately enough as well, on that same team, I met a personal trainer who had his kinesiology degree and played um, university level football. And he was a phenomenal trainer. I'm actually interviewing. I'm actually having him on the podcast next. Um, so he's a phenomenal trainer. He's actually nice. one of the, one of the few trainers I've seen. Um, probably me, the only trainer I've seen speak about steroids and different steroids. Uh, 
and break them all down, the pros and cons. So I know a lot, a lot of trainers don't touch that because it's very stigmatized, but he he's very much about giving information to people. And and then at the same time, I met a guy named Andrew Johnson who was um, at the time on the Eskimos team. So I had two personal yes. trainers. Um, there's the long shots. Um, I don't have um, – because there's two different types of muscles, slow, twi- slow twitch and fast twitch. Um so I'm very much a slow twitch guy. I don't have a lot of acceleration, but I can use a lot of sometimes power. So, and like so, you so from a guy who never played receiver, so receiver is the guy who catches the football. Yeah. Um, never played that position at all. One kind of year in the adult Alberta football league, and I made it all the way to the final cuts. And unfortunately, unfortunately, I didn't make the team. Um, it was very saddening. I ate two boxes of ice cream sandwiches that day, um, <laughs> uh, and it was sad because it was because um, at, at the time my identity was a football player. But you know, reflecting back on it, um, just from like a year or so of putting a lot of putting my full intention into it, putting my yeah a lot of time and focus into it, I realized that you know, regardless of where you're at in life, um, you can achieve anything if you put some time and effort into something. Because I went from a guy who wasn't that great a position to I was, you know, I guess from my perspective, but I'll, I'll say I was competing with guys who've been playing multiple years at the position who had a lot more skill. And just because I focused more, um, again, I humbled myself. You know, I realized I wasn't the best. Because I think sometimes in sports or in certain occupations, you probably came came across certain people. But I think, you know, you 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 have a lot of talent, a lot of skill. Maybe you've been the best for so long. Sometimes you think your way is the best. You won't. You won't listen to the coach. So I knew um, going to one advantage I had amongst other, I guess, amongst other people is that I was going to be humble. You know, whatever the coach told me, I was going to do, and I was going to apply it. And but I think that's one. Even though it didn't happen, even though I'm not a pro football player, um. It's still, it's still a great uh, memory in my life. You know, I built some good relationships. A lot of great. I met a lot of great people, and good for you. And yeah, even yeah, and uh, I guess another. I guess another cha- another time is, I did one year of schooling in Nova Scotia when I was nineteen, twenty. Um, just because you know I was, I just wanted to have I wanted to experience the East Coast lifestyle and. And I always encourage people to go check out the East Coast in the summertime because it's absolutely gorgeous down there and people are ridiculously friendly. Uh, yeah, people are so friendly out there. Um, but yeah, I know it's not definitely a place either I'd love to retire retire in or have a summer home in. It's definitely a, a great place, great people. Um, and yeah, so that's, I guess, another chance I took. Good for you. So. Good for you, my friend. Wonderful. Yeah. So we're just going to have to wrap this down in a few minutes. I just got another Zoom call coming up, actually. No worries. Well, that, that's good. Where I had to think about my risk story, I don't know if uh, if I have a lot of concrete stuff, but I'll tell you a couple of uh, stories that's kind of cool. Uh, the importance and idea of risk, and it's kind of cool. Uh, when I, in summer of 2002, I was doing an internship for leadership and mentoring. So here we go, uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. And one of the things they wanted us to do is do some adventure learning. And like I already, already confessed my sin to you, I'm not very adventurous by nature. I mean, I just like to keep my feet 
on the ground. I, I don't even like like roller coasters or rides at the carnival, but but I'll I'll, I'll try them. I'm not gonna say, I'm not gonna guarantee that I'll enjoy them, but I'll definitely try them. To Atlanta, don't you know? The first couple of days, they were uh, doing adventure learning, and so we went on a camp uh, just north of Atlanta, someplace, and they had a high ropes course. Low, low ropes course they had us climbing mountains and white water rafting oh my god it, I, I was completely out of my comfort zone and uh what was really really meaningful about it is this one quote that the leader of the adventure learning would say is there's nothing as exciting as facing your fears and overcoming them that is life indeed and a favorite author, I'm not sure if I'm quoting her very clearly or correctly, Helen Keller, uh, said something, life is a daring adventure or nothing at all. So we want to do all we can to uh, break out of our comfort zone and take those risks. And so for me, on day number five of the adventure learning, there was high ropes course. And honestly, Peter, shamefully and sheepishly admit, I did not do it. I was too afraid. <laughs> I was, no, I can't do it. I'll just stay on the ground. For example, uh, one of them was climbing. Um, let's see, how did it go now? You had to just climb uh, up. Oh, yeah, I had this one. There was a tall pole that looked like a power pole with U-shaped iron bars along that served as steps. And so you took two steps up. You had hooked yourself, hooked yourself in again for the sake of safety. You took two steps up, unhooked yourself, hooked yourself to the bar above, and up you went to the top of the pole. Now, the problem exists when you get to the top of the pole, you can't hook yourself to anything. You just have to sort of let go of the steps that you're on with both hands and both feet and just get on top of the pole and hope for the best. And so that's what you—that's what these people were doing is that they would step on top of this massive power pole looking beam that by the way, had a flex base at the bottom and that flex space was called a security feature. That would allow the bar to, the pole, to breathe, uh, go with the wind, and it would go left or right or whatever. That's not a security feature to me. <laughs> That's called a scary ass feature. You know, if that if I jump on top of that pole and it starts going left or right, of course it's a security feature, so it doesn't snap. You know, underneath the weight of our force of the wind. Uh, I was just like, I can't do it. I said, I got, I can't do it. So once they got on top of that massive pole, they were to jump off and grab a trapeze that would swing them to another part and they'd carry on. So guys, like, I just can't do it. I've never been on, I, I grew up in Regina, Saskatchewan. The biggest building here is like 18 floors or something. It's like the biggest bump I've ever been on. It's not a mountain. It's riding those, uh, speed bumps in a Walmart parking lot. So like it's flat ground here. I'm not terribly adventurous, but a few days later, we went on a white water rafting adventure that lasted eight hours. And uh, what was really cool about it was uh, some of my colleagues, other students from other universities that were on the same internship uh, said, we're not going to let you, we're not going to let you duck out this time. It's like, Oh man, I was planning on actually staying home. I don't, I don't want to go on this whitewater rafting. It's like, no way, Nelson, you've got to do this. When's the next time you're going to be in Atlanta? You're from Regina, Saskatchewan in Canada, you know? And I was like, 
wow, I'm, I'm not sure if I could do this. But anyway, they would talk me into it. There was about 41 interns from three different agencies there. And we got uh, hauled into a room and we were shown safety measures on what to do if you're thrown from the boat. What? <laughs> from the boat? Are you kidding me? And he was just like, yeah, there's like a 90% chance that you were going to be thrown from the boat. I was like, oh my goodness, why did I ever come here? Oh, I'm so nervous, so nervous. What's more is that they have to have you sign off on a document in case you die. <laughs> <laughs> I thought to myself, my mom's going to kill me if I die, you know? She's just going to, oh, I just, I signed off. I was just like, oh my goodness, I can't imagine. So they suited up with these helmets, you know, and, and these uh, these life jackets and and I got paired up with, with people even more scared than me, if you could imagine that. Along with two coaches that had a Bachelor of Physical Education outdoor, so outdoor education. So that's what they had there. Maybe they have it here in Canada. But um, so we got into our our raft, which, by the way, I'm not sure if you've ever done whitewater rafting, but they're very heavy. Those boats are very heavy. They've got to take a lot of pressure as they kind of rock against different uh, different, it's moving fast, number one, and then you're going to hit some rocks along the way. So it's very heavy. Uh, uh, it could take a lot of hits, and and wow. So six of us were carrying this. No, was one, two, three, five of us were carrying. And we were the last ones to get into what looked like a bit of a lagoon. And I started looking around. Where are all the other boats? Oh, they're already on the river. Well, I thought we're on the river. No, this is where we enter. This is where we enter the river. Up ahead, there's like a 14-foot drop. It's like, oh, my God. Like a waterfall? It's like, yeah, like a bit of a waterfall. I just, Peter, I just could not even tell you the, the panic. And what's funny about it is that one girl as well, uh, she started having like an anxiety attack, you know. And so these coaches, knowing what they're doing, coached her through this anxiety attack, got her to breathe, got her to relax. And for me, all of a sudden the pendulum swung from fear and lack of adventure to come on, guys, we can do this. I don't know what got into me. All of a sudden, there's no turning back. There's just no turning back. They told us you can't really turn back because the bus left and the bus is gone to travel two or three hours down the road uh, where it'll pick us up. There's no way to reach him. He can't turn around and come back and get you just because you're scared. And I was just like, well, there's, there's no turning back. Here we go. So we, uh, we start uh, with our paddles going towards the, the, uh, where we drop into the river. And I'll never forget paddling. Here we go, guys. Okay, here we go, here we go, everybody. You know, like we're giving some instruction, cross your arms or whatever. And and we went down and I closed my eyes and we hit the water with such an enormous splash. And I opened my eyes and I was the only one in the boat. <laughs> I, was the only, <laughs> I was the only one in the boat. And, and all four other people got bumped from as soon as we hit as soon as we hit the water with this enormous splash and all that to say, uh, I raised my hands. I was like, winning. I was like, yes. <laughs> can, can we go home now? Cause I won the, I won the internet that day. Yeah. I don't know. I won, I won the river water raft challenge and it was just an amazing, amazing thing. My friend, 
after that, I wasn't afraid anymore. I took every opportunity to jump off of every cliff to, to go underwater through these caves. I didn't think twice anymore because all of a sudden my fear was turned into faith. And all of that to say, it's like, there's nothing quite as exciting, Peter, as facing your fears and overcoming them. What does that fear look like to you today? Or to the listeners that are watching this podcast? What are you afraid of? Uh, you don't have to face your fears alone. Grab somebody, grab a buddy, grab a girlfriend, your significant other, and face them. And uh, it's pretty exciting when you do that. Because then your life becomes a daring adventure rather than nothing at all, like Helen Keller said. Amen. Boom. I think that's a perfect way to end this. Yeah, for sure. Great Thank stuff. you for reaching out. Amen. Yeah, always. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to give a shout out to my friend, uh, Spencer Brightman. Uh, you should interview him first. He's definitely a good talker, worth listening to. He's an old soul just like you. Like right. years of wisdom. Like you and Spencer and a few others, you're just like, holy smokes, how old are you? 26? Are you kidding me? You sound like you're 60 for your life experience. <laughs> so good on you. Be encouraged with that. He's the same way. Perfect. Well, thank you very He's much. And uh, thank you for being here. And I uh, always enjoy chatting with you. Yeah. God bless you, Peter. Have a great day. Yeah, you too, buddy.